Hi, Steve Addison here for the Movement Podcast. The podcast for people who want to multiply disciples and churches everywhere. Today we're talking to Trudy Reed, who is in San Francisco, about her journey in disciple-making movements. And when I first joined City Team, I worked with um, the recovery component for addictions and then with the homeless. And the vision changed to where we aligned to where we believed God wanted us to be, and that was we needed to be making disciples not just giving services to the homeless and services to those in recovery. So we changed our emphasis to make sure that we were making disciples who made disciples. And that's how it got started um, in San Francisco. So we have the benefit of um, a very courageous man, missionary David Watson, who came and taught us and then um, coached us as we went along. We made lots of mistakes. In San Francisco, we were just trying to reach San Francisco, and then God God grabbed it, and you go through the doors that God opens. But um, So we were influenced a lot by David Watson, Jerry Trisdale, mm-hmm. uh, and his story the, also was... Um, an influence on us. We read his book and we followed um, his, and then he also was available to coach us. Um, It was a real struggle at the beginning. We had uh, the mental understanding of making disciples, um, but it's not a process that you read a book and then you go out and do. It takes a while um, to get out of the traditional evangelism style and um, teaching style that we had before. The process that we use is one of discovery Mm -hmm. and allowing people to discover, and that means our opinions stay out of it, our doctrine stays out of it. So um, when I was doing training, that was always an obstacle at the beginning. Mm. That took people time, um, myself as well, to get out of the teaching mode. Um, I'm a part-time pastor, so it was one tradition, I thought, conflicting with another. I don't believe that to be true anymore. I don't think it's conflict. Um, And so we had starts and finishes. But in, so in San Francisco, we were reaching out to the homeless by giving food boxes, serving meals. So everything we did, we started being intentional to build relationships. And to focus on the relationship, um, to do what I call God drops, you know, um, to see if somebody was spiritually interested. And um, so we started doing that uh, in all of our ministries or trying to do that in all of our ministries, in all of our social ministries. We, it definitely got incorporated in the recovery. Um, we became a discipleship, AA focused um, in recovery so that they were getting they were being discipled and encouraged to disciple themselves. So we had built um, a relationship with a apartment complex through food boxes and backpacks. We had built a relationship with people in an immigration apartment complex. Um, And in that building, there were Middle Easterners, 
Central Americans, South Americans, um, you name it, it was a very mixed bag of people that lived there. And we started building relationships with them. And um, the, the best story is the um, Angela. We, Angela, we asked her, um, she said, can I help you do this ministry in my, in my building? It's like, of course you can. And we built a relationship with Angela. Doesn't, at that point, didn't speak good English, enough to, enough to get by, but uh, and also enough to have some conflicts on occasion over understanding. Um, so we brought in a Spanish speaker at the same time to partner. And um, we just invited her to discover for herself what scripture said. She was culturally Catholic. And um, she was excited to do that and excited to invite others from that building. Um, and so she started a uh, discovery group in her building, in her, in her house, um, it, being Latino, always food, and a lot of fellowship. And her group multiplied within the complex itself and outside of the complex. So through giving food boxes and backpacks and being deliberate in finding out who the um, who was spiritually minded and wanted to do discovery, um, God gave us Angela, and we call her our person of peace in in that building. Um, so it the relationship took about a year yeah. to actually evolve into one where she trusted us um, and. Um, she, you're going to hear later about her story because she took it to Central America. Wow. Well, what would, if we just sort of dropped in on that group, of that discovery group, what, what would have been happening typically? So if you walked into um, her apartment, which the living room was not all that big, you would discover there was about 12 people there eating, talking, um, they were already friends before. Uh, in fact, at the beginning of this one, uh, the discovery group had one individual who sat on the end of the couch, kind of facing the other way. And they would, and her name was Olga, and they would invite Olga to engage in it. And she go, no, no, I don't want to be part of, she wanted to be part of the fellowship. She wanted to be part of food. She did not want to be part of the discover Bible study. And they just, oh, okay. And, um, about eight weeks later, Olga was fully engaged, mm-hmm. but it was on Olga's term. You know, you literally could see her move a little bit each week uh, towards the group and asking questions and and um, being involved. But you would see a lot of laughing. Um, you would you would hear people say, uh, and I I heard people say, um, I love the idea of being able to do what God's word tells me to, uh, mm-hmm. which was something that they're background didn't give them before so they were thrilled to death to discover sometimes the discovery was small mm. and sometimes the discovery was huge and and but all that was life-changing because it was got what god would have them to do and you weren't leading this group i never led this group um i i still to this day am a coach and a mentor to angela um, but and and but now Angela, the coach and a mentor, to um, she has ten that she coaches and mentors who turn around and coach and mentor themselves um, down the line. So um, 
No, we maintain, we're very good friends. Uh, the first year was rocky communication. Um, but uh, uh, because we, she, she believed that my leadership was over and um, I try, and it took a while, it took about a year to understand that our relationship was partners and not one of a person of authority over another. Mm. Um, and once that happened, uh, that things really changed. And you said that this group uh, started some groups. So within, so within the building, within oh a month, there was another group going. Um, the store, um, one floor above. So there was two groups going within the building within a month. Um, so it, since it's an immigration building, as you find jobs and those jobs take you outside of, because this is in downtown San Francisco, those jobs take you out of San Francisco, um, then they would take their groups to, and their friends that were coming who wanted to start groups, they didn't live in that building either. So, so within the building, um, by the end of one month, they had another one, and within two months, they had three going in the building. And then they started uh, probably five in Daly City within three months, which is just the town below San Francisco, okay. which is where a lot of people move to because you can't afford to live in San Francisco. So it just followed their movements. And uh, so is, was Angela following up these groups, or was that your role? No, it was it was Angela's role. Angela was the person that um, God used to connect with them. We um, we did not take Angela out of the picture at all. Um, I didn't try to take over anything that that were her relationships. So I coached her and mentored her in keeping the groups um, uh, on track as far as the DNA. Um, not as far as what it looked like. I would get questions, what should it look like? And it, I, the, it doesn't matter what it looks like. Uh, you, can eat, you can eat for three hours. Um, you, can, you cannot eat. Um, it, that was up to them. So I just turned around and coached her, which helped her um, improve her skills as well as, as um, help the, the, those she was in leadership over and partnering with. Sounds like Angela was worth waiting a year for. Um, so there is a philosophy, um, go slow to go mm -hmm. fast. Mm -hmm. um, this definitely was that because after um, Angela's trip, after her vacation to, Nicar to Nicaragua, um, I was running. Um, I was having a hard time keeping up um, because it did go fast. So what, what happened? So Angela went home um, Christmas, five, five and a half years ago. Um, Angela went home for Christmas to Nicaragua, who's her home country. Um, she's a refugee. And um, she went back to see her newest grandchild. Um, I discovered that Angela is related to everybody in Nicaragua. And the whole so, nation. <laughs> so while she was down there, and I did not tell her to do this, mm. this is a God thing, uh, while she was down there, she shared with family members, in-laws, outlaws, and um, before she left, she was there for two weeks, before she left, four groups had established, well established, um, and those groups quickly uh, grew. So she just shared 
told people she was enthusiastic. She said, "You guys need to do this. Um, you need to discover. You need to discover what the Bible says." I've discovered so much. So she just was God's um, instrument in Nicaragua um, while she was down there. So four groups started, and um, did she? How how did she follow those groups up? Did we do? We have a lot of. So at the beginning, we used a lot of calling cards. Um, mm -hmm. Now we have um, Vantage, but um, so we use a lot of calling. We still use a lot of calling cards, yeah. but um, she she calls. Um, so there's so in the course of the five years, the the groups obviously multiplied um, down to what we think is probably 14 generations. At this point, we don't count the generations. Um, you mean, when you say generation, you mean a, a group started a group started a group, and, and as far as 14 times that's happened? Yes, sir. Wow. Mm. So, um, and um, we discovered some things that didn't work. We discovered things that did work. Um, we discovered the enemy. Mm. So um, currently we have, God has 300 groups, 300 plus groups going in Nicaragua. Some of them are, uh, are doing church. Um, the, the community, um, so we have leaders that we have trained leaders. So at this point we have Angela who has moved back to Nicaragua. Nicaragua okay. um, and um, well she lives both places but hmm. uh, so she like currently she's in Nicaragua she does training down there she works with her leaders down there um, and um, helps and so helps was people. that an intentional move on her part to, to follow up what God was doing back home so we just, yeah, we discovered that um, we really needed somebody on the ground there. And Angela discovered, came to us one day, we had been talking about it in leadership. And um, Angela came up to us one day and said, I think God's telling me I need to go back to Nicaragua. Hmm. So simultaneously, God was working in both, um, in both us and her to, um, it was just getting very difficult to coach, mentor, um, and do training. I was going down four times a year. Hmm. And um, so now I don't go down. Angela, Angela is there on the ground. Uh, she does the training. Um, I still coach her. Uh, so, so your role throughout this with Angela, right from the start, has been you're, you're a, a trainer, a coach, a mentor, uh, you've you've never led anything in this. That was Angela's group um, <laughs> because I'm not a Spanish speaker, and all of her group were in Spanish. So you had the advantage of not speaking the language. Yes. Yes. And but it sounds like um, there was that mentoring role. Then there was a period of time where it sounds like you were were partners or team together in in what was you know fueling what God was doing in Nicaragua, now you've stepped back again and still her coach and mentor while, while she um, develops the work. Is that yes. okay? That's a good summation. And what, what have you learned through all of this 
in terms of, you know, finding the person, that, that God-prepared person, person of peace, but also then uh, when it appears like here's somebody who, who God has his hand on to, to multiply uh, disciples, groups, churches. So what have you learned about your role in, in their development? Um, I think the most, and this sounds odd, but the most valuable um, that I, both valuable thing that I've learned is that since God's in charge, um, it, Angela is the boss, and I tell her this, and that's how we built our partnership, is Angela is the boss when it comes to knowing her community, and I don't try to influence and go, you should do it this way. Mm-hmm. Um, I may offer opinions and I need to make sure, you know, in coaching that it's DNA, but I don't. So the hard thing is not getting my culture into her culture. Mm-hmm. And it has to be a deliberate, intentional, hey, you you know, keep your culture out of it. Um, it's okay that it looks this way. Um, so I spent a lot of, I've spent months saying, you're the boss. And half the time when I said to Angela, you're the boss, it was for me to hear it. Mm-hmm. to keep my culture out of it or my understanding out of it and trust her understanding. She and God have it. I don't need to be um, interjecting in it. Um, it doesn't, you know, um, at one point we were said, oh, don't let the groups get too big. Well, the groups down there are huge. Um, so like hmm. uh, just helping overcome obstacles that we could help overcome or giving advice on how to overcome an obstacle but not to, not to say it has to be done my way. It has to I, I, I wonder, though, whether there's a cultural issue here. So she's the expert in her culture. But if, she, if, if you were, were a Nicaraguan, I still wonder whether you'd be, you might still be hands-off. Well, so in San Francisco, so I say to myself, even in San Francisco or groups in San Francisco, et cetera, I'm, I'm old. And um, working with um, San Franciscans who are young, I give the power, I say the same thing to, so I have interns and I have leaders in San Francisco who are Western, and they're the boss. I say the same thing to them. <laughs> so my role is, has become, um, so like here in Washington, I am building relationships to start groups. So I'm still doing, um, I, I ha- I'm part of a DBS, um, a recovery DBS in Tacoma. And um, I, so I still do, I still am engaged in building relationships and doing God drops and starting discover groups. I am mostly a coach, um, a teacher, a mentor, um, a catalyst, helping them get unstuck. Um, there's a lot of that. It's like, we're not growing. How come? And then it's looking back at the DNA and seeing where they deviated, just adding one thing or, um, or going from this most of the time is going from discovery to teaching. And it's like, that doesn't multiply. So, um, people get stuck. Every group I know has gotten stuck after about two years um, their growth pattern has has plateaued, and it's going back and looking at the DNA. Um, Tell us a bit more about the DNA. 
So discovery versus teaching is um, a major component and is probably the one that um, we Westerners have the most issues with is um, you have to understand it my way. Um, keeping um, with partner churches, it's keeping doctrine out of it. Mm -hmm. uh, and in some senses, it's um, it's empowering them to yes, you can be you can be whoever you want to be, um, but don't don't have people. How do you word this? Don't have people rely on you. If your reliance is on me, then you're only going to multiply as much as I can do. Have the reliance on scripture. Have, so when somebody comes to you with a question, refer them back to scripture. Mm -hmm. so making sure that a lot of people say, we believe that scripture is all you need, and then they add stuff. It's like, no, don't add stuff. If scripture, mm -hmm. is all, if scripture is all you need, which is what I believe, then that's all you need. It is sufficient. Um, so making sure that um, teaching is not part of it, that discovery is, that their level of understanding is their level of understanding and somebody isn't going to get everything that's, um, that's in Scripture the first time. And it's not up to you. It's up to God and the Holy Spirit to, um, to do that. It's not my job to say, well, you missed this, this, and this. Um, we don't do that. Sometimes people do that, and it's like you're not going to grow because you are now the teacher. So how, how do you help groups and leaders get unstuck? It was really helpful when um, I had a coach at, the, at one point, David Hunt, who um, had been in Ethiopia and, and is now back in Ethiopia. And um, he said, that's okay, Trudy. This happens all the time. And first off, just hearing that helped me and my heart to realize that um, I wasn't alone and this wasn't odd. Um, and then reinstilling DNA when you're stuck looking back and going, okay, where did we go off of the DNA? Where did we stray from, um, from the DNA to realize I needed to spend more time empowering leaders um, and not instilling myself. So um, most of the time it's reinstilling DNA, reinstilling discovery, um, reinstilling not, um, not putting yourself in it, but letting their leadership take it. Um, so it's empowering them, it's getting them back to the DNA, discovery versus teaching. And most of the time, those will help you to get unstuck. But get help when you're stuck. When you see a plateau, talk to your coach. Um, get your prayer team helping you. Uh, and realize that it's normal to get stuck. It, it, it happens to everybody. In El Salvador, uh, they were stuck. And I was I, so Carlos and I were talking to Brother Mauricio. Um, and... It's like, it's like, okay, tell us, tell us what's going on. Tell us, show us what you're doing. Um, and as soon as he, he said, and we just, we just started smiling, both Carlos and I started smiling. As soon as he said, well, I added some things that I thought they needed to know. Mm -hmm. And Brother Mauricio is a pastor and um, he, he's a, he is a God-fearing man. And he didn't realize that by adding that he was teaching and no longer doing discovery. 
Um, and it was no longer reproducible. And so they were all relying on him doing. So as soon as we started talking about the DNA again, about discovery, is this part of discovery? Can they discover this? Are you teaching this? Well, I'm teaching this. And as soon as his mouth says, I'm teaching this, he just smiled and said, I got it. Because hmm. uh, he knew the DNA. He just had forgotten the DNA. He, he didn't hear, before he hadn't heard himself say, I'm teaching. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, about the scripture. Hmm. So that's a DNA issue. And so in, empowerment is about believing in them, giving them, helping them understand they are the leader, they're responsible. But it's not, you're not divesting any form of uh, appropriate control because the DNA is this is how we're going to get the job done. And you're bringing them back to sort of first principles. Correct. Um, and there is no, yes, and it's like there is no control issue other than this is, it's, it's God who does the convicting. It's the scripture who does the teaching. Um, and we, we don't try to do God's job for him. Mm-hmm. So, um, and anybody and everybody can learn through, um, can discover what God has for them. Um, I have a favorite story. Uh, a Costa Rican eight-year-old did, um, did the first Bible uh, Discover series, and they asked her what, um, they asked her what she would do differently from the scripture, and she said, I'm not, I'm not going to kick the cat. And, um, the adults in the group just couldn't resist, and they asked, how come? And she said, well, God told us to take care of them, and, um, and I, I shouldn't kick the cat anymore. And um, that's life-changing. Yeah, especially for the cat. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs>